The content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor. You're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome everybody to the next edition of Bare Naked Money. And Josh and I are sitting in uh, our big comfortable chairs and we're going to talk about things in a little bit of a different way this time. That sounds like it's going to be a little more interesting, a little bit more back and forth. And the title of this podcast is doesn't matter. And we've come up with a list of things that we're going to discuss and maybe pass judgment on as to whether things matter or not. Did I do a good enough job, Josh? Is that a good way to send this up? Well, I have to correct you. Maybe pass judgment. We're definitely going to pass judgment. We're going to pass judgment on everything. That's the whole point of this podcast. I, I apologize. I forgot to take off my safety before we started. My safety was still engaged. I'll take that off now. Yeah. That we came up with this concept because we look at a lot of the stuff that's out there and we just think this does not matter. It's either completely irrelevant. It's misleading. There are issues with it. It's wrong. So this is our approach to, to give our audience a little bit of a, a flavor of what should you actually pay attention to? What should you not pay attention to? And what is sitting on the fence somewhere? Absolutely. And Josh being who he is, he's given us a list to work from, which is great. I think I love lists. I love when other people make them so that I can just read them. So Josh, I'm going to throw it to you first. I want you to pass judgment on whether it matters or not, whether somebody was able to buy Apple stock at 25 cents a share, or somebody was able to accurately predict the 2008 financial collapse. Does that matter? So this is, it comes up all the time and it's usually a headline predicted 2008 market collapse and sees another impending doom coming. And it's always attention grabbing and it's always mostly BS and should completely be ignored because to get, look, some of these people are incredibly smart and they have made in the past incredibly well-timed predictions, but one, that does not mean that they can do it again. Two, that does not mean, even if they could do it again, that you should be following their advice because they know nothing about your financial situation. And most of the time, most of these people that I see that, that got lucky, it's a flash in the pan type of thing. They got lucky once, maybe they have a process, maybe they don't to, to work through their investment decision-making process. But most of the time, this is, hey, I got lucky one time, really lucky one time. And I've been wrong pretty much every other time over the last 10 years. That's always my follow-up question because you predicted one thing. Is that right? So what is your track record? How many other things have you predicted? How many things have you been wrong? So you have to put it in context. Believe it or not, and I think I've told the story previously. So for those who are yeah, religious listens, listeners to our podcast, you can maybe fast forward a bit. But one conference I went to had a mathematician present, and I found it very interesting. I was one of the few people who maybe found it interesting. And he said, look, you want to be a millionaire? It's no problem. Get a list of 64,000 people. 
and you send half of them in the newsletter stating the market's going to go up half a letter that the, the market's going to go down and you keep going, you know, you get it. So every time you cut your list in two, eventually you get down to a thousand people where you've been right seven times in a row. You've accurately predicted based on nothing more than chance. And now you hold yourself out and say, Hey, we've got a supercomputer that can predict the future. So you know, you give me a thousand bucks. I'll keep sending you my newsletter. Again, law of large numbers. People will predict things. People can predict things in a row. You take 10,000 people in a row, flipping a coin, 5,000 of them are likely to come up heads. Well, you keep flipping a coin. One guy is going to flip heads 25 times in a row. You put a microphone in front of him and say, how do you do it? He goes, I went to this school and they taught me a technique where if I just shut up, you're flipping a coin. That's all it was to draw any more, put any more weight on it just isn't warranted. So fun stories. But the whole idea that because you predicted one financial collapse, what you have to say next matters, that's, that is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. So another market related headline here, Colin, that, that often comes up and I often hear people tells me markets are at an all time high. What should I do? So Colin to you, markets are at an all time high. Doesn't matter. Oh, no, it doesn't matter because you were the one that educated me on this, Josh. I think it was at 32% of the time, the market trades at an all time high. Yeah, it's about a quarter of days markets making an all-time high. Yeah. So, you know, it, how exciting is that? Well, it happens on the regular now. Again, there's a markets climb a wall of worry. And listen, don't confuse us with the people that tell you it's always a good time to invest. Because again, there are times when things are more jittery. But again, it's not just the markets that are at all-time high that causes that. There's a whole bunch of other factors that you'd have to, you know, to take a look at before you ever got to the point of saying it mattered. And that's going to be a bit of a theme. Does any one thing matter? Not on its own. It's got to be, you know, there's got to be something else behind it. Yeah. I think importantly, markets being at an all time high does not tell you anything for making investment decisions. It doesn't tell you that you should buy. It doesn't tell you that you should sell. It doesn't tell you that more volatility is in line. It doesn't tell you much of anything. You, you probably should just completely ignore the fact that markets may be at an all-time high at any given point in time. Well, and that's a really good way of putting it, Josh. And that's something I think that we should keep in mind with all these, these things. What we're commenting on is the usefulness of these individual events for decision-making. Now, look, if you want to read about the guy that predicted the market collapse in 2008 for entertainment purposes, there's a great movie made about it, you know? For entertainment purposes, absolutely. To try to glean from that something going forward to help you make a decision about your finances, that's where we got to go. Ah, it's just maybe not. Yeah. Oh, I love this one. Sell in May and go away, Josh. It's Isn't rhymes. that? Is that? That's a great headline. Yeah, it rhymes. It must be. Must make sense. Must matter. Unfortunately, I'm very dubious of this one. So, let me tell everybody: the numbers would suggest that. Historically, the best time to invest or the best time to sell some of your investments would be throughout the summer months. The market has tended on average over very long periods of time to do worse in the summer months than at other times during the year. So this is why people say sell in May, go on vacation, take your money, don't put it in the market, come back in September, October, buy back into the market. Great. But why does this happen? How does this make any sense? Is there any logic to the idea that markets should perform better from September to April than they should from May to, to August? 
My answer is no. I've, I've thought about it a lot. I can't think of anything that would make sense. So like that guy flipping heads or flipping tails, I just don't think that this matters much. I don't think that the fact that something has happened in the past is predictive of what will happen in the future, which is what investing is all about. Yeah, because if you do the math, there is going to be one month or one period of months that are the worst. Why? Because if you order things in and top to bottom, there's going to be something, hey, look, that's the worst month. Ooh, okay. Now, does that tell us anything? Correlation versus causation. What caused it? We don't know. You can't establish a reason for it. If you, it in a normal situation, you know, the market distribution of, of returns should represent basically a normal distribution, right? Over periods of time, it's going to skew from one way to the other, but that's just how numbers work. It's actually going to start working its way back. So September is going to become the worst month at some point. Maybe this is just a, a large data set that's going to continue to grow and is going to self-level at some point if there's no real cause behind it. So this is, a, to me, I, I love this in the same one as whoever wins the Super Bowl or whoever wins an election, they go back and do the math and it's true. You can correlate things, but is there, is there real causation? Did one event really cause it? Is there something that, that there's something to it? And like you, Josh, I've been at this a long time and that Salome go away is a great headline and I see it every year multiple times, but I've never found any actual proof or any reason to argument that there's a causation behind that headline. So this doesn't matter. Very definitive there. <laughs> so my safety off. Yeah, good, good. I, I like you better on Hinge like that. So here's a one for you, and I'm going to add some context around it for you, Colin. So interest rates, the, the level of interest rates, do they matter when you're, you're looking at the stock market, do interest rates influence the stock market in any way? Do, do they matter for the stock market? I think at any moment in time when someone's making a choice about deploying capital, the, what their ability is to get a fixed rate of return is, can influence a decision. With the caveat that I think in the moment when people are making a decision, like right now we get somebody, I've had the phone call today, I've got a bunch of money sitting in my bank account. I'm basically getting 0% interest on it and I'm motivated to do something with it. That's the thing that that's, that's what we call a causal relationship. Now where I, you know, begin to squint a little bit is when people start anticipating interest rate trends, then I say, okay, anticipation of a, a change in, in interest rates isn't as effective as just making a decision in the moment. Well, so yeah, I think that in the moment, yeah, interest rates matter. What you think interest rates are about to do, eh, opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. And you can, if you're on the wrong side of that trade, you can do yourself a significant amount of harm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I think what it comes down to for me is do interest rates matter for stock markets? Yes, absolutely. hundred percent they do because the vast majority of the population, the investment population uses interest rates as an input when valuing stocks, when valuing markets, when trying to assess in much the same way that, that you talked about trying to assess their investment opportunities. Now, what I would say is that interest rate matters, the level of interest rates matter all else equal. So this is this, this wonderful term that economists love to throw around all else equal, but higher interest rates all else is never equal. Everything's always changing. There's always millions of things going on and interacting with each other. So if you have higher interest rates, 
yeah, maybe that's slightly negative for, for stock valuations, but that also probably means the world is growing faster. The economy is growing faster. So you have so many different things at, at play here that interest rates, yes, they matter, but maybe not in as simplistic a way that, that a lot of people look at them as interest rates up bad for stocks. It's just not that simple. Oh, because it can be obliterated by, hey, a global pandemic just hit. What's more important in the news that day? Interest rates moved or a global pandemic? Sure. So it can get obliterated. And, and Josh, you, you do a really good job of, of, of pointing that out, that everything is in context. And so I think that to go back to our, I need a gong. I need some kind of sound effect. To go back to our, do interest rates matter for the purposes of making de uh, decisions on your investments in the moment on their own? No. All right. Moving on. <laughs> so Somewhat related. So stock market valuations. And we, we hear a lot of metrics thrown around. There, there's data that is used often to encourage people to invest or not to invest or to tell people that things are, are rosy or, or they're not so rosy. And so stock market valuations is coming up quite often. And one of the, the most prominent valuations that I see used is the price to earnings ratio or the PE multiple. You can call it whatever you want. Colin, let me ask you, does this matter? I'm going to say no right out of the gate. And I'm going to start with my background as an accountant. I have worked in the corporate world for a short period of time and I, I can speak accountantese. So the ability for a, a, an institution to you know, create a number is a, perhaps a little bit more common than the general public would be comfortable with. So on its own and on its face, price earning number, because it's so important, can be, I don't want to use the word manipulated, can be massaged. Because when you're producing an accounting statement, you have a range of reasonable assumptions that can be made, whether it's accruing expenses, referring things. There's all kinds of things within the accounting profession that are set up to allow some rightful discretion to be used in putting together numbers. Everybody does it. It's, it, and it's largely a very positive thing, but it can diminish the value of a single number, such as price earnings, because again, on its own, it can be gamed. But so you're talking about gaming the profit that is reported or the net earnings that are reported for a customer, yes. right? Call Gaming is a strong word. It, it can be shown that, you know, there's a whole, and again, I've been in the room when they've done it. So oh, this is a bad quarter. Let's throw in the kitchen sink. Let's bring forward a bunch of expenses. Let's you know, throw a bunch of stuff that from an accounting perspective is perfectly legit. You're not mischaracterizing the organization. You're not creating expenses. You're just, you've decided that, okay, we're going to, we're going to use our discretion to do a thing that's going to make us look good in the future. So these numbers individually, sometimes can be misleading. So to say, you know, back to our whole theme here, price earnings is at this level, this is good, or this is bad. No, no that's, and it's also a trailing indicator, right? So it's an indicator that's based on a period of time. And Josh, you've gone through this with taking a look at companies and that's trying to figure out where we are in this. The pandemic caused a pretty big disruption in earnings. And so yeah. how valuable is that, that data set that we rely on over the last couple of years? Has that made it more or less useful. Yeah. It's basically any 
earnings multiple over the last couple of years has been pretty much completely useless because earnings have been disrupted so significantly over that period of time. Now you've taken a very micro view of this question and I approached it or was thinking about it from more of a macro view. Okay, let's look at the US stock market as a whole and it's PE multiple relative to history. And people have been saying for probably the better part of 15 years, hey, the market is is expensive relative to history. That's the way that we like to put it. And that's been absolutely true. So in, at an aggregate level for the market as a whole, does the PE multiple matter? The answer is yes, but maybe not in the way that people think and only in the really long term. There's been shown to be basically zero correlation between the, the PE ratio today or the valuation of the market today and the returns over the next year. So it tells you nothing about what you should expect over the next 12 months. What it does have a bit better predictive value add is telling you what you should expect over the next 10 years. And I say a bit, it's not like you can say, hey, PE multiple today is X, therefore next 10 year return is Y. But what you can generally infer is that higher valuations today probably means lower than average returns over the, the long term, say next 10 years. That's not negative returns. That's not terrible returns relative to other investments. It's just lower than average. So what's say if I have one data point that has price earnings, can I make a decision based on that one data point? Make a decision? No. Uh, maybe some inferences, maybe. It in influences the whole cookie. That's right. That's but right. it's not a cookie on its own. It's just, it's just one chocolate chip on that cookie. There you go. Yeah. So this is what we have, <laughs> you're already laughing because I know where we're going with this. This is what we have a lot of fun with. Political party, call in, doesn't matter. It's it matters because it gets under your skin so much that I really enjoy getting you wound up. This is, again, I'm just beginning to repeat myself maybe on some of these podcasts because uh, I've only got a limited uh, repertoire. But, but again, for me, politics is a lot like professional wrestling. People making a whole lot of noise, people with a whole lot of fake tan, you know, trying to make something out of nothing making a lot of noise and not as impactful as they believe themselves to be. And frankly, not as impactful as many people think they are. And it's for a whole bunch of reasons. The policies introduced take a while to affect day-to-day -day life. They could take a while to reflect in the markets. A lot of it's based on anticipation. But I would say to the extent that they influence people's optimism or pessimism, yeah, that optimism or pessimism, it is reflected to some degree in the market, but it all depends on what else happened that day. Whether there's an interest rate move the same day that people got more pessimistic, but I don't think it matters as much as many would, would hope that it did. Yeah. Not much to add here. Ignore the political party, move on. Excellent. So we, we, we finally said all there is to say about political parties for now. This is great. All right. So all well, this is actually connected. The next thing on the list is capital gains inclusion rate. Yeah. Does it matter? Yeah. So just to give everybody an understanding, so this is effectively the amount of your capital gains that you include on your tax return every year. So it's really, it is a politicized issue because the political party has some influence on what uh, tax rates are and what uh, different sources of income are taxed at what rate. I guess the answer is, does it matter? Yes, if, if I just have to answer very simply, but very marginally, I, I think, let me put it to you this way. If you said capital gains, the capital gains inclusion rate is going from 50% up to 75%. Are you going to run out and sell all your stocks? Are you going to stop buying a rental property? Are you going to stop 
investing in your personal business because you think the capital gains inclusion rate is somewhat higher? Probably not. And with that said, this probably doesn't have much of an impact for markets as a whole. Maybe you see some knee-jerk reaction if this was announced, knee-jerk reaction overnight, but I think markets adapt and overcome quite quickly to it. For me, I don't see this, you know, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. You should invest trying to make money. And if you make money, that's good. And you're going to pay some tax along the way. Don't spend time trying to anticipate. If this was ever brought in, it would be hugely unpopular. And hugely unpopular things tend to have a sunset clause on them that come in in a future period. So you would have time to react to it. But again, I, I say again, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Look, I had this conversation with the client again today because they were all concerned about their capital gains. I said, would you rather I gave you a capital loss? You can invest your money and lose it. I don't think you'd be happier with me. No further ahead. So let's just, you and I agree as people that having this capital gain is a good problem to have and we'll pay your fair share and, and we'll move on and try to make you more money so you get to pay more tax. So I think that oftentimes because people hate taxes with their soul and hate the idea of taxes at the molecular level, that they really get bent out of shape sometimes about, I have to do everything I can to pay less tax. And sometimes they end up causing themselves actual financial harm in the process of doing that. And this is one of the ways, letting something like tax treatment get in the way of making good investment decisions. Yeah. So why don't we move on to some of our, our current events and some things happening in the world today. And we'll explain whether we think it matters for investment decision-making or not. And... One that's front and center for everybody these days, Colin, is supply chain disruptions. Does this matter? Well, I think it's certainly affecting in the short term to the extent that we consider supply chain disruption by, by framing it as a supply chain disruption. That's a transitory thing. That's something that's going to be here for a while and then be gone. It's also hugely unpredictable. It's already affected things that nobody thought it was going to affect. So I think it's a fact. I think it has an effect on investment outcomes in the short term, but it's also completely unpredictable as to how and when this will resolve. So I don't think it's a useful metric to make any decision on with regards to how to allocate capital right now. Because, and I'll include with that, part of the reason I say that is like, we do not believe that your short-term money should be deployed and exposed to the market. You know, the supply chain disruptions could cause more short-term volatility. Absolutely. But I don't think that people who have short-term investments should be in the market. Therefore, the advice we give would be, yeah, these are going to be a thing. It may actually create opportunities from time to time. We internally may, may find, hey, look, we think that this this is a really extreme, I don't know how to turn my phone off. You're so popular, Paula. Not on that phone. Hey, sunk. There could be opportunities that we may be able to re- react to in, in the marketplace because, again, something sells off way too much. There, there could be some opportunities like that. But they're going to be fairly small and they're going to be fairly infrequent, fairly unlikely. So there's nothing really for a retail investor to, to read the market one day and go, oh my God, the supply chain disruption, I need to sell everything or buy everything or sell more or buy more. I don't think it's useful that though. Yeah. I, I think one of the things you said there hit the nail on the head for me is yes, it's going to affect some investment outcomes like company X has massive supply chain disruption that's going to go on for the next two years, that's probably going to be a negative for company X. Why? As you said, it's unpredictable. So it's not really influencing our investment decision-making that much. Ooh, then we get to talk about inflation. 
we should do a whole podcast on inflation. I could do a whole podcast on inflation, but this is just a bullet point. So what do you want to talk about on inflation, Josh? I, I think actually we have done a whole podcast on inflation. <laughs> I know you have a short memory, but that wasn't too long ago. <laughs> but no. <laughs> does this matter for investing? Yes. Yes. Inflation does. Uh, I think maybe more than anything else we've talked about, it, it does matter for sure for for investment decision-making. Inflation probably can, you can look at it as a negative for most bond markets. So to the extent that you have any bond investments in your portfolio, inflation is probably a negative for that. And then when you look at stocks and inflation, it can actually be a positive thing for a lot of companies, but that company needs to have the ability to pass on higher costs or higher prices to its customers. And so it could be a very bifurcated thing where it matters for some and it matters, it doesn't matter for others. So this is where you have to put more of your thinking cap on and look under the hood and try to decipher what does this mean for the different types of investments that I have in my portfolio? Cause it's going to impact each of them differently. At the other side of the coin, and this is the, the beauty of having two different perspectives is inflation matters for you planning a retirement. If you have a sum of money that you're living on and inflation kicks in. Now, again, inflation is very local. If you live in an apartment, you don't drive a car. So gasoline is probably not a big deal for you. So depending on the kind of food you eat, depending on your individual circumstances, you may be hit more or less than what the average inflation rate is. But in large, if prices are generally going up as they are right now, you need to take that into account for your investment strategy. Because again, if you are investing in very guaranteed investments at very low interest rates, that can work in a low interest rate environment. It becomes less good in a high, sorry, high inflation environment. Again, you can accept lower rates of return, lower rates of interest in a low inflation environment. But if your expenses are going up, then you need to take that into account. That should be used to change or influence your investment decisions as to what's appropriate for you. Because again, if, if milk is going to be double the price in three years and you want to keep drinking it, then that's a thing. You're going to have to either stop eating meat or, you know, stop doing something else, or you're going to have to have found a way to protect your net worth against that effect. Now, changing gears a little bit and one that's very topical these days, China, what's going on there? Chinese debt debt companies defaulting on that debt regulation, does this matter, Colin? I think there's a lessons to be learned here. And again, we've talked about this in the past. I think that, again, the number of, it is funny, you can actually track people's interest in things by the launch of new investment products. So the number of new China funds that have been issued in the last 10 years because China's market, the share of market is growing, the size of the economy is growing, growth is a good thing, we should invest in growth, and all these products come out there. And so this, to me, there's a lesson that can be learned from this piece of information. And some of that is not to be quite so confident and the systemic risk in doing things, meaning a government or an institution or somebody stepping in and changing the game can dramatically affect investment outcomes. So you want to make sure that you manage that risk appropriately and not unintentionally make your portfolio fragile. But I'll turn it back to you, Josh. What's your latest assessment on the actual market ripples of the actual events that have occurred in China? Yeah, it matters. Again, in very 
small pockets, it, it matters a great deal. I think, for example, if you had invested in Chinese technology companies that were listed on a U.S. stock exchange, yeah, you're feeling the brunt of that right now, but I don't think your average investor is, is really doing that to a significant extent. So at this point, though, some of those riffles, like the debt issues and the regulatory issues have not been felt by, I would say, most North American investors. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It does. They are potential issues, but I think they're at the periphery right now and to if they stay there, if they're able to be kept at the periphery, then I think we should be pretty well insulated here. But it, it matters. It matters. If I have to pick yes or no, does it matter? Yes, it does. Oh, what say you to the astute listener who's going, hey, maybe this is an opportunity. Do you think that this is information that could be used to term this whole schmazzle as an opportunity? Yeah. So maybe. The point I made not too long ago was if you're investing in China, you're basically at the whims of a political faction there. And personally, I'm not really that comfortable. <laughs> this is so going back to what we said before, political party doesn't matter in Canada, in the U S no, it doesn't really in China. Yeah. They're basically a autocratic so they can, they're not a democracy. They're not making decisions that are for the people necessarily. I'm just not that comfortable exposing a significant part of, of our clients' investment portfolios or mine personally to that type of uncertainty where I basically have to make a wager on what somebody's feeling at any given point in time. Yeah, we can extrapolate on that. If there's systemic risk in certain types of investments, whether it's OPEC's interference with the price of oil or any other global cartels that control certain economic activity or the more you know, dictatorships of the world that control certain things. You know, those are all systemic risks and that sometimes gets lost in the whole, Hey, let's, you know, let's do a relative valuation of a barrel of oil through all these different metrics and all these different things. Wait a second, OPEC had a meeting. And so there's just some systemic risk in those kind of investments that has to be taken into account. I think Josh, you've done a good job of, of explaining exactly how, I don't know, extreme is the word, but how, how material that the risk within the, 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 the Chinese marketplace is that. The accounting world would call that a material risk for sure. So, so the last thing we have here is COVID. Is COVID still a thing, Josh? Oh, God. How did I answer that? <laughs> yeah, sure. So we're going to speak specifically about how it affects investment portfolios and investment decision-making. And for me at, at this point, does it matter? And my answer is pretty much no. And so I, I think it did matter. Obviously it had a, a great influence on stock and bond markets early on last year in 2020. At this point, I think we're at a point where from an, again, from an investment decision-making perspective, we should not be looking at COVID and, and what it's doing or trying to forecast what it's doing. We have vaccines, we have treatments. It's still a thing. It's still around, but I think Market is always, the market is always forward looking and you have to try to look at things differently than the market as a whole. When you're making investment decisions, if, if you're trying to outperform or trying to make superior investment decisions, and I just don't think we know that much more than the market as a whole or the average person. So I don't think it should influence our investment decision making any longer. And I also think it's a transitory it's something that's working its way through the system. It's created a lot of disruption. But again, is if you sat down at, and, and studied infection rates right now, is there anything to be gained from there as far as to how to allocate your investment portfolio or how to do anything? 
No, I agree with Josh. It, yeah. it isn't. It's a thing. It's cause yeah. disruption, but is it, you know, is knowing any more about it going to allow you to make any better decisions? No, that yeah. really isn't. Yeah, because the unintended consequences and how quickly it's moving is making it unusable from an individual's perspective. Now, again, that's notwithstanding the fact you gained employment or lost employment because of COVID. Yeah, you can have personal circumstances, but again, that's that's not relevant to the, hey, how many people, you know, what's the epidemiology telling us about COVID now compared to what it was telling us six months ago, making investment decisions on that information. So. Yeah, exactly. So ready for the big wrap up? Yes, sir. All right. One of the many lessons I learned in my career with sports experts, they, actually, I think they're still around, a retail uh, outfit that I worked with uh, while I was still in school, was that measuring anything based on one dimension can be very dangerous. And we've touched on this throughout our, our, our conversations today. But how I saw it happen in real life was all of the stores back in the day before computers were under a system where the managers were compensated and rewarded based on sales. And I'd be in the store and our manager would leave to go to his weekly sales review with the owner of the store. And he would be desperate to pump up that sales number. And I was on the floor one night when somebody walked in and took a look at a big universal gym outfit we had sitting on the floor forever that nobody had, had been able to successfully sell. But because the manager was in his car on his way to driving to that meeting, and he was short about 700 bucks from the sales he needed to present to the owner that night, the, one of his lieutenants on the floor figured now's my chance. So he actually sold that piece of equipment off the floor at below cost. And the manager showed up to the meeting, having met his sales target and was rewarded handsomely for it. When in fact, they had just lost money on a very big piece of equipment who had been sitting on the floor for quite a while. So the lesson I learned there that applies here is measuring anything in one dimension, measuring any single thing is fraught with problems. And as Josh brought up earlier, nothing happens in a vacuum. Interest rates don't move in a vacuum. They move inside the organic organism, which is the global markets. And because of that, you cannot use any one piece of information with a lot of confidence to make decisions. Did I miss anything, Josh? I think that's a great wrap up, Colin. All I heard was incentives. Do they matter? Yes, they absolutely do. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good one. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. IA Private Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth Inc. operates. Lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. 
We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be found.